0: You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen.
1: The kids headed to Kids Church. I want to talk about mustard seed faith. And I spent a lot of the week looking at the parable of the mustard seed and why Jesus liked the mustard seed. Often he would tell a parable and he would like give the meaning to the parable to the disciples, but he never did that with the parable of the mustard seed. So it turns out that all these Bible theologian commentaries and everything have different ideas of what Jesus meant by the mustard seed. So I'm going to try to keep it on point. point, uh, three practical things in our life that's important. And then just the mustard seed in itself is is really interesting because it's not really a seed that plants a beautiful tree. It's more like this brush that grows tall. One question I asked to myself is, okay, if Jesus, creator of the world, I mean, we believe that Jesus was existent before he actually came in the flesh, pre-incarnate Jesus, helped create the world. And of all the things that he created, he kept pointing out that, hey, have you considered the mustard seed? And he says in one of the passages, the smallest of seeds, and it's obviously not the smallest seed in the world, but it is a small seed with great potential. I don't Really, ever remember planting any mustard seeds. But I do remember a time when my wife and I, we were praying for a house to rent and couldn't find anything. And I always said I would never live on that side of Hopkins. And as we're praying for a house to rent, it turns out that some missionaries had a house for rent in that side of Hopkins, a couple houses down from the Dairy Queen there in downtown Hopkins right next to the mobile home park. Now it's beautiful gated townhomes. Anyway, that's where the missionary house was. And so we ended up renting that place. And it was a great place for us to live. It had a three-car garage. Everything about it totally met our needs. It was a blessing. It's a house, a normal house, just owned by some missionaries. They decided before they left the country that they would try to have something for themselves when they came back. So by buying a house and having somebody rent it, that meant when they came back, they would have a place to live. It was a good plan. But the house needed some work, and the lawn wasn't taken care of. I tried to be nice and everything, but I was trying to connect with the neighbors. I couldn't figure out what it was about these old guys that lived behind the house on the yards that were next to the house, but they didn't like me. And no matter what I did, I couldn't seem to befriend them. Every time it would rain, this one guy behind us would be out there on his riding mower. You know, it's like, oh, it grew just a little bit. I gotta go, gotta make my lawn look perfect. He had his perfect raspberry bushes. Everything about it was perfect. And then there was my yard that. We got with this house and I would mow it and whatever. It had weeds, it had these like beautiful little blue flowers in the weeds. Creeping Charlie. I didn't really think much of it, but then my father in law came out and he's like, Do you realize that Creeping Charlie like grows everywhere? It like grows under driveways. It's really hard to get rid of and it's a mess. You don't want it. He's like, I'll come out and I'll take care of it. So he puts on his little hazmat suit thing and he comes out with a sprayer and he sprays it all and he kills off the Creeping Charlie and the old guys behind me. See, this is going on. Now they want to be my friend. Now they want to hear what I have to say. Turns out that it didn't necessarily dislike me, but they hated the creeping Charlie. So that was the offense. that I didn't even know I had committed or allowed or whatever. But once that was gone, then we could be friends. And that was a pretty awesome thing. But I guess the mustard seed is that kind of plant. That kind of plant that once you plant that little seed, it just grows and grows and takes over. So we look at the mustard seed. I want to just look at, this passage in Luke 17, verses 3 through 10, about what Jesus is teaching his disciples and about faith, and we're going to watch a video about mustard seeds, and then we're going to talk about a bit about church planting, because it's Church Planting Sunday for the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we started as a church plant. We're still kind of like a church plant, because we meet in the school. We've been around for a long time, and we're an officially accredited church, but still, um, church planting is an awesome way to reach more people for Christ in the community, so we're going to talk about that in the short amount of time that I have. Mustard seed faith. So, all right, number one, faith for forgiveness. So Jesus is talking to his disciples about the way they're supposed to live among each other and the way that Christians are supposed to live their life. And he says, uh, verse three, watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. And I think that in the Christian life, one of the hardest things for us to do, especially when we work alongside each other and serve with each other and stuff like that, is to not end up in conflict, to be quick to forgive. I've heard that there's missionaries that like, leave everything and go to a, like, like a third world country and they're supposed to be on a team together and they can't get along. You know, They all have their own ideas and people get upset about different things and then it causes division in the body of Christ. So watch yourselves so if a, it says here, if a believer sins, rebuke that person, then if there is repentance, forgive. So if somebody offends you, then you go to them. And the Life Application Bible Commentary had this great list of things for effective confrontation about rebuking a fellow believer. And it's not that anytime you see somebody like doing some kind of sin, you go rebuke them. But if they've offended you, if they've done something against you, you go to them and you do these things. So rebuking a fellow believer requires care. Finding fault and expressing it effectively are delicate proceedings. People are easily offended. So you want to check your attitude. You want to make sure that you're truly caring about the person. Pray before you go. And then try these six steps. Pray for God's help in getting your concern across without generating antagonism or defensiveness. Two, approach the other person as a friend, not an adversary. Three, imagine the most innocent possible reason for the other's fault, not the most insidious or repulsive. Four, make your approach a series of gradual and mutual agreements could I speak to you or I'm having trouble with something? May I ask you about it? Uh, five, state your case once clearly. Repetition becomes the pounding of a sledgehammer. And six, express gratitude for the conversation. Confidence in the friendship and cordial expectations for the future show that you harbor no doubt that the matter has been solved. So you work on those relationships. And so I titled the message, How Mustard Seed Faith Can Change the World. And the first one is if we can get along and we can work together, and we can be quick to forgive. Again, uh, the offense or the sin is something against you uh, that you want to deal with. And then Jesus says, and it would seem so insincere, I mean, if you did something to a, like wrong to a hurt me or whatever, and then we talked about it, and you said, oh, I'm sorry, forgive me, and then I forgave you, and you did it seven times a day, after a while I'd be like, um... Are you serious about this? So Jesus was probably using hyperbole to say, you know, as the offenses keep coming, be quick to forgive, be quick to forgive and to live in that way. And it is hard to forgive and it is also hard to live a life that's totally free of sin. Now, you know, I've been a pastor for, I don't know what, 21 years. And every now and then I catch myself falling into sin and it's embarrassing and it makes me sad that I do it. And it's like a knee-jerk reaction. And it's, it's tough, but I think it happens to everybody. So when someone sins against you or uh, does something wrong, try to think about, you know, why did they do that? Why did, why, why did they do that? So I conveniently threw out a half-truth that was more like a lie. And then I just kind of ran with it. Now, I learned when I was a kid that you can spin yourself into a very deep hole by telling lies to the point that you tell so many lies, you can't get yourself out. Now that was before I was saved. Hopefully I, have, hopefully I don't do that now. At the time, it was for another Christian person. And I said something that was like a half-truth, not necessarily true. Then I felt really bad about it. And so it was a knee-jerk reaction. I actually said it before I thought about it. It was a convenient way for me to get out of the situation, to save face and say, well, oh, I do not really do that. But actually, I did. Later apologized for that. And moved on, but it's so easy for us to fall into sin. But a lot of us we think it was a half truth. So that means it's a half. Was it a fifty-one percent truth? Because you know, then it's truth and it's okay. It was a 49% truth, and that was a lie, yeah. So and we justify certain things that we do that are totally wrong, totally sinful. Sometimes it's our attitude, sometimes it's unforgiveness, sometimes it is the actions that we do, and our motives are impure. But Romans 6:1 says. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful, wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So we're not supposed to live in sin. We're supposed to learn how to get along and do right. If somebody that we're working alongside or uh, serving alongside or in a Bible study with is doing things that are totally out of bounds, maybe they don't know any better. Maybe they don't know and God wants us to come alongside of them, wants us to be watchful, another brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, you know, I, I, I saw that or heard that or whatever, and uh, I just want to encourage you. Uh, it seems like that would be out of God's will, and you might want to confess that and not do it again. Uh, or, uh, you know, when you did that, it hurt me in this way. Uh, and then they usually say, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't know that. I'll work on that. We pray together, and that's a good thing. Uh, there was a guy that I had met uh, years ago when I was in a different ministry, and he was not supposed to have any alcohol at all. So the judge said, you have another drop of alcohol, and you're going back to jail. So this guy would ride his bike around town, and uh, he couldn't drive because he lost his license, and so he wasn't supposed to have any alcohol in town town, at at all, and so I was trying to disciple him, and we'd get together for Bible studies and stuff each week, and then every now and then he'd disappear, and so then I would drive around the alleys of the bars looking for his bike, and then I'd find him, and I'd go in and talk, and he'd be like, I'm so sorry, and then, uh, you know, forgive me, help me not to, I don't want to do this, thank you for coming to get me. Uh, one time I was waiting for him for, to meet for Bible study, and he comes walking up the stairs with a 12-pack of beer. And so it's in his hand, and I'm standing right there. So uh, we got rid of that 12-pack so fast. Actually, my thought was, I would take this off of your hand. So I'll just take this. You know, this is going to cause you to sin. I'll just take it. But I was working at the Baptist Church in northern Minnesota, and I didn't want to be walking down the street with a case of beer. That would look awkward. So we poured it all down the toilet, and he repented, and he didn't want to do that again. But then eventually one time, and this was the last time I actually saw him, uh, I found him in the bar and he was staring amorously at his beer and he just wouldn't let go of it. He's like, I don't care what you say to me today. I'm not coming out of here. And so it was sad. And hopefully he's gotten his life on track and hopefully he didn't have a drink and have to go to jail. But there's people that are caught in that struggle. So I see him as kind of a victim of alcoholism and see him as somebody who struggles in that and it's sad that he didn't want to come out of it. I tried to reach out to him and then he uh wouldn't respond anymore, so I moved on to someone else and moved on. And that's what we can do too. But we need to be quick to forgive. We need to be quick to care. We need to be quick to try to figure out what the other person is going through and to pray for them. And then in 1 Peter 2.16, it talks about our freedom in Christ, yet we are uh, slaves to the Lord, which is a weird thing. Um, you know, Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that is true. So First Peter 2.16 says, You are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. So we need to get along. We need to be quick to forgive. We need to look past the pasts and move forward together as the body of Christ. And as we do, we can change the world. If we can forgive, if we can get along, if we can live in a way where we care for each other and we encourage each other and build each other up, That will change the world. So the disciples heard this, and they heard the other things about what Jesus was talking about as far as how the disciples were supposed to live. And what was their response? High fives all around? No. Their response was, number two, faith in action. The apostle said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. Like, you're asking too much. So we're supposed to have faith in all this. How how can we have that? The apostle said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and thrown into the sea and it would obey you. So faith to do what's right. Faith to do what you know is correct. Faith, not you building up more and more and more faith, like self-talk, like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I know I can do this. I know some people that are big into self-esteem and they would put post-it notes all up over their mirror with like self-esteem things. I am important. I am special. I am delightful. And they would say this to themselves over and over again to build them up. And maybe some people do that with faith too. Sometimes when we pray or when the elders lay hands on us and pray for us, uh, sometimes we think, oh, if we only had more faith. But actually it's not the faith that we muster up, but it's faith in the Lord. It's a small faith to trust God. To move, to move out in faith and to do what He wants us to do. To know the thing. So many of us, actually, know a lot about God's Word and know a lot about faith, but we don't act on it. We are quick to learn more, go to some more seminars, go to more classes, uh, read more books, listen to more audio, uh, but we don't act on it. We don't act on what we know, what we should do. And the Lord says, Jesus says, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, that little tiny seed with great potential you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and thrown into the sea. Another place Jesus said you could say to this mountain, you know, be cast into the sea. Again, that's a figure of speech. Now, what is your mountain? I mean, I'm pretty sure that if I muster enough faith, I'm not going to be able to cast the Grand Tetons into the Pacific Ocean or Pikes Peak into the Atlantic. And why would I want to? But there are mountains of trouble and difficulties and health and finances and stuff in our lives. And we need to trust God and have faith in those things. We need to trust God for all of these life issues, these relationship troubles, these struggles that we have. And we can trust that as we place our faith in God, as we have boldness to come to situations and pray for God to act, for God to move, as we have boldness to show up, to serve in faith. I think we've only canceled church once because of the weather and it's because there's no way to get the trailer down the street. And I had no clue if anybody was coming. I, was, I knew Caleb was going to be here because he was in the car with me. But I didn't know if anybody else was showing up. And we had plan, I had plan A, plan B, plan C in my head. I mean, turns out those speakers over there work now. I come to serve the Lord. I come to honor the Lord. I come as an act of worship to say, Jesus, you are the most important thing. And I'm going to be faithful to show up And just trust that you're going to help me say something worthwhile, that you're going to bring some people, that people will be encouraged, that I'm going to show up. And I hope that you do the same thing too. I hope you just show up. You start your day, maybe in God's Word, confess any known sin, and you show up and you say, God, here I am. If you need me, I'm available to be used by you today. And then see what God will do. The mustard seed is not the smallest seed, obviously but it was a bush that grew as large as some trees, Uh, the fact that such a seed could produce huge results caused people to use the mustard seed as a proverbial saying to describe smallness. So a little thing can lead to a great thing. A little thing, a little faith, can lead to people's lives being changed. And wouldn't it be great if your little faith proclaimed and lived out and invested in other people would lead to them getting saved and leading people to Christ and making a difference in the world? Hebrews eleven six says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So we have to have true faith to please God. Then in Psalm 37, 5, it says, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him and he will help you. So that means that you can take your work problems to, to the Lord and ask him to help you and trust that he will. You can take your family problems, you can take your health problems, you can take your financial problems to the Lord in prayer, trusting in faith. Do what you know you're supposed to do and act on the things that God tells you to do more than what the world says, because often what the world tells us to do is in opposition to what the Bible tells us to do, and that will help change the world. If we would have faith and act on that faith, our little faith can move mountains, can make a huge difference. This is uh, another guy talking about the mustard seed. I really liked what he had to say. The video quality is not so great. I like the pictures in the background too. I think you'll enjoy it.
2: Jesus used to tell a lot of stories, and most of the stories dealt with the kingdom of God. He came to embody the kingdom and explain to the world what it meant to be a part of the kingdom. And he used parables One of those parables he uses in Matthew 13, verse 31, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. What do we usually think about when we hear the mustard seed parable? Jesus comparing his kingdom to that of a mustard seed. I think a lot of times because of our framework, which generally focuses on big things, we kind of like it that it starts out as something really small, but it turns into this huge thing. And I think we focus on the result of that huge tree, the biggest of all trees. But it doesn't take really that long to investigate to learn that a mustard seed, one, isn't the smallest of all seeds, and a mustard shrub or plant definitely isn't one of the largest trees. So what was Jesus trying to say? I think the people around Jesus were listening to something a little bit different. Mustard seeds were even prohibited in Jewish culture Uh, from being planted in gardens. Why? Because they spread like weeds. And I think the people in Jesus' time hearing it thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And it's true. Mustard seeds are a nuisance. There's no controlling it. They spread wherever they please. They produce thousands of seeds per plant that then fall to the ground and die and produce more plants. When Jesus talks about the mustard seed, uh, he compares it to the kingdom of God. And as Christ followers and kingdom citizens, if we are to be more like a mustard seed, we'll be less perceivable. We will be more in tune with God and His Holy Spirit that He will take us where He wants us to so that we might plant our seeds and multiply in ways that we probably would never imagine. In God's kingdom, He's the gardener and we don't have control over how the plants are propagated and and when the seed will germinate that's all up to God and so if we are truly gonna live out lives like a mustard seed we will be planted and we will die to ourselves and germinate into in ways and spread in ways that we honestly won't be able to control or predict how do we then respond? I think we could respond by paying attention to the small things I think we could respond by accompanying and coming alongside God's seeds, which are his representatives of his kingdom here on earth today, forgotten and marginalized, and realize that they're the ones who are truly planting the kingdom among us. I think if you took it in those terms, our gardens, our churches, our programs, our development projects that we tend to like to control, God's saying, This is all my project. And what is my project? It's to restore all things. It's to make all things new. So the next time we think about the kingdom of God, amidst a world in which we're pretty good at building our own kingdoms, maybe we should be a little more quiet, be a little less visible, and a little more faithful to Jesus, who might be telling us, love this person. Touch this life. Go unheard and unseen and make a difference in my name. And in that way, it will be like a wildfire. It will be an invasion, a subversive invasion of God's mustard seeds who are faithfully obeying his call to make all things new in his ways and in his timing.
1: That was good and thought-provoking. Uh, so then number three to change of the world, faith to serve. So in this same passage, right after Jesus talks about that mustard seed and that faith after the disciples say, give us more faith, Jesus says, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. And so when we think about that in our culture, in our day, you know, modern day slavery was terrible. Uh, You know, the fact that people are enslaved even today is terrible. Uh, Back in that time, sometimes people were uh, captured in war and put into slavery. Sometimes they would contract with a family and say, I will work for you in exchange for a place to live and for food and for all the things that I need in life. There's actually a passage in, I think it's in Exodus, that talks about a a servant wanting to proclaim his allegiance to his master uh, by wanting to serve him for the rest of his life. Uh, And they drive an awl through his ear to mark him in that way. Why would he do that? Because the person he was serving had great resources, was very kind and benevolent. It was a much better way to live. And so they wanted to be you know, part of that relationship. So don't reject anything the Bible has to say in the culture that it was in. The Bible isn't promoting slavery, but it is saying that either we're children of God or children of the devil. It is saying that we do need to serve Jesus. And when we're faithful to serve, that will change the world. When we do things and we walk up to a situation where we're caring for people and it's not going as well as we thought or people don't thank us or whatever, but we're serving the Lord and we're doing it as an act of worship and the Lord sees us, we might not you know, get uh, accolades, we might not get abundant blessing for it, but we're being faithful to do it. And Jesus sees it and knows it and that's the right thing to be doing. So many times you can be doing stuff, And it doesn't even seem to be that rewarding, but it's like a mustard seed and it's going to yield fruit or yield or harvest in the future. Uh, So you're being faithful, doing the right thing because you're faithful to serve. So faithful to serve. And I think that's what a lot of you do when we started this church October 2001. Many of you have been here since serving, not complaining, serving together. It is an awesome thing. Many of you are faithful to serve. And if we have that kind of faith, that just shows up and says, you know, Jesus bought me with a price, he bought my salvation, I am his, I'm his child, I'm his servant, whatever he needs me to do, I'm willing to do. Wherever he wants me to go, I'm willing to go. That's going to change the world. So, all right, let's talk about church planting in your bulletin. There is a flyer that talks about church planting in the Christian Missionary Alliance. And it talks about how 3.1 billion people haven't heard the good news of Christ. And that church planting is biblical because... It helps fulfill the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations. It reaches lost people. Many church plants reach people in ways that existing churches can't as they're put in new neighborhoods, as new people come together. When a church helps plant a church, it benefits that church too. Church is excited about their outreach opportunity. One of the churches I'm going to show you in a minute, actually a couple of them are actually offshoots of one another, so it benefits the church. I like the idea of church planting because it gets more people involved in ministry. So if you were in a professional church like the big arena where the professionals are singing and everything about it is professional and everybody else is just sitting on the stands watching, there's not as many people serving using their spiritual gifts. When you get into a church plant or a smaller church, there's more opportunities to serve, to use your gifts, you get to be a player instead of a spectator. I think the quality of your spiritual life is better when you're finding a place to serve. Now again, in a large church, you can still serve. There's a way to serve. I was in a church of thousands and realized that there were still only 10% or 15% of people doing most of the work, but church planting is awesome. And then on the back, it talks about being worth the risk to church plant. Again, we were planted in October 2001. My wife and I showed up. We found some people. I didn't know anybody when we moved here. Bought some people, had some Bible studies at my house, and then for December, uh, we had a Christmas party here at the school, and then we had private meetings in January. They are supposed to be private, so people showed up. But uh, then around Palm Sunday, we had a big concert, and a lot of people came, and then like 70 of them came back, and then we started the church out of that. And God's been faithful. The church hasn't grown as big as I thought it would be in my head, and we don't have the building that I thought we'd have. I just thought I'd show up when we'd spin off a church of 350 people, have multiple staff in the building. But the churches I was comparing it to were like 100 and 125 years old, so maybe that was unfair. But this is from the group we're a part of, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And when we give to the district operating budget, uh, which we do part of our church budget and also through the Great Commission Fund, it helps with church planting. And this is a brief clip about church planting. The church plants that we have going on right now, uh, they don't stay plants for very long, but these are the ones that are active. And Apple Valley had Crossword, there's Crossword Church, which is a primarily African American church that was meeting in Bloomington, but now they're meeting at Hope Church in Apple Valley. Hope Church also meets in their building in Apple Valley, and so does this Spanish ministry. So we have three churches under one roof, and sometimes they get together and do stuff together. Uh, then we have the Eagle Christian Worship Center International in Minneapolis. Gospel of Mercy Church in Sioux Falls, which is actually an offshoot of a church plant, Mercy Church, as they found ways to reach multi-ethnic people. They're like, you know, we should plant a separate church for you guys. And that is an awesome thing. Uh, River Life Church in St. Paul is a Hmong church. Uh, the branded Cowboy Church up in Bobe on the Iron Range is for cowboys and cow gals on the Iron Range. So there's already Triumphant Life Church. But the pastor also said, hey, we've got all these cowboy people here, cowgirl people here. Let's start a church for them, so I think they're meet at night, but got the branded cowboy church, and then the central mission in St. Paul is also multi-ethnic, and they try to do all sorts of creative things to try to reach their community. Like I think they might be having a breakdance competition thing going on in their church to reach kids in their area, but the idea is, is to reach lots of people for Christ. Every person, no matter what language they speak or where they came from, matters They all need to hear about Jesus, and those are the current church plants. And then there's the Zion Ethiopian Fellowship, or they call themselves the Zion Evangelical Fellowship, but they're Ethiopian, in Shoreview. And there's other church plants too, but uh, those are some of the ones that uh, are going on right now. So here's this video.
3: Thank you for celebrating Church Planting Sunday. Church planting is a biblical and proven way of reaching people with the good news of Jesus. And it happens when local churches like yours work together to raise up and send out leaders. We believe that all of our churches can have a part. Here, just one example of what God is doing.
4: The- the desire of like, well, what does Eddie want to do in a city? I want to plant a church. I want to fill seats. I want to, I want to, I want to build a, I want to build a big church for Jesus. Though that is not in in itself a bad thing, uh, it might not be exactly what God was looking to do. So then we realize that it's really about following after Jesus. He connected people. Uh, he loved on them. He served them and he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. And so we realized that we had to get back to a simpler model of following Jesus and really encountering people. And naturally the overflow of that, uh, the scripture says the all by itself growth is multiplication.
0: I knew I had a call to, to do something more. What it was, yeah, I didn't know, but I just, I just had a call. I knew I, I had to do more. The youth pastor came up and says, how about you come out and help with the kids? And so I started helping out with the with the children's church, and next thing you know, he says, you, "You need to start giving messages." You know, and again, I knew there was more that I needed to do. Once I gave my first message, that's when I knew, you know, that it, I was called to to do to do more than just go to church. And, and I'm praying, "What do you want me to do, Lord?" Because I know I, I'm supposed to do more than this. And this is when Eddie came in and says, "Hey, I, I'm starting an internship." I've seen a change in you. Would you like to? Would you like to apply for it?
4: Mike started serving, getting involved in all areas of ministry. He was an elder at the church, and but really felt the call to that God was calling him the pastor and and pastor congregation.
0: Uh, that's where the Lord, I believe, put on my heart to go. Um, it was an area of the city that was growing. There's brand new developments going on there. Since then, we've been what I say we've been in training. You know, God's teaching us. How to how, how to be a church and be a team for His glory.
4: I'm from Puerto Rico, a town called Yauco, Puerto Rico, and I had that passion for for ser- serve the Lord and and you know and, and to do an outreach and and to share the gospel with uh, the people that I know. So in that process, I met Eddie. I got that burden that I wanted to share what God did in my life and my family to my people. We started another congregation in Spanish because there was a huge Spanish population moving into our city. I, I approached my wife and I said, you know, I think it's time for us to, you know, to launch and, and help Eddie and apply for internship. And then uh, and here I am. I'm excited about the uh, Archie's passion for outreach in the community. I think it's going to be phenomenal.
3: The fact is that every church plant has a unique story, including yours. Have you ever stopped to wonder where you might be if someone has not answered God's call to plant the church you are sitting in right now? We plant churches because it's biblical. It benefits the planting church, and Jesus wants to make himself known to the lost, hurting, and overlooked. If you sense God nudging you to become part of a church planting effort, talk to your pastor. There may soon be opportunities in your community or district where you can make a kingdom difference.
0: I want you to think about this, that
2: our God is so very faithful, and he is so very capable.
1: And uh, he calls people from all different walks and all different ages and all different times to serve. And it's not dependent on our own qualifications. It's dependent on the ability of God to use us.
0: If you look at the disciples, if you look at Moses, they were all unwilling servants, uh, oftentimes uneducated Uh, not necessarily the greatest or the
1: strongest, but because God was in
2: them, he was able to use them. And maybe he would
0: call some of us at some point in time. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us Find more messages to listen to and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.